You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, it is good to see everybody today. Isn't this heat wonderful? Some of you thinking a pastor needs to have his pulse taken. No, man. Did you know that this is the weather that Jesus used to minister in? Still no amens. All right. But hey, we're starting a series today, and I'll do it today and then for the next three weeks. So it'll be a four-week message or series, and it's called Faith Under Fire. And I'm going to be addressing some things that are what I call currently on our radars as parents As grandparents, as citizens, we see a dramatic shift in the basis of our values and our morals that are guiding this country. And so my purpose in doing this series is, listen to me, not to be combative. I want to show you there is nothing new under the sun. And the Bible does speak to these kinds of things and what our response ought to be. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word, if you would. If you could back down my, my mic a little bit, because I'm getting some feedback. I'm, I'm, hit, I'm hearing myself a little more than I would care to. Thanks. But uh, I don't mind if you hear it. I just don't want to hear it coming back at me. But uh, it's based on the gospel of Mark. So we're going to jump into, and uh, it's not cooperating. So I don't, there we go. Oh. Now it's decided to cooperate. There we go. Mark chapter 7, verses 17 through 23. Let's read. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, Lord, as we look at the word today, we understand that sometimes your word comforts us, but other times it challenges us. And today we know that this is going to be a challenging word. And so I pray that you help us to be open to your word and your Holy Spirit working in and through us. We pray that our minds, our hearts, our values, our morals are influenced by your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as I said, we're talking about this faith under fire. And if you look at the slide, you'll see the backdrop is the Colosseum in the city of Rome, one of a a very ancient uh, facility, but it's also very popular. There's a reason I chose that, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. But one of the things as we're looking at when we talk about faith under fire, I think many of you know that our faith is under fire in this culture right now. And so one of the challenges we have as followers of Christ is what is a responsible response? 
without coming across as being uh, overbearing or judgmental in a way that breaks a relationship because the Bible even says to love our enemies. Okay, so we're supposed to be figuring out how do we reach people and how do we respond to these challenges? And so what you need to be aware of is this. What we're facing today is nothing new. I, as a pastor, sometimes people will say to me, boy, I bet you're really in a spot with some of the things that you proclaim and you say. And I go, actually, I'm pretty good because I've gone to the Bible and I've seen that I'm not the only pastor who's ever had to navigate this. And so I'm drawing upon God's word. Now, the problem is, is sometimes we don't know the context of the Bible. And that's why you've heard me use this phrase, text without uh, context leads to, there's 20 of you that still remember that. That's good. Yeah, text without context leads to pretext. And so we see this, especially in Christian circles today. A lot of uh, religious leaders are literally just flipping the Bible on its head with no regard to the context for what the words were spoken. So context is critical. So I don't mind telling you, especially today, you're going to get a little history lesson related to the Bible, so that when you read it, you go, oh, well, no wonder, now I understand what's being said. But over the course of time, Christianity has been accepted in mainstream society, but as, as, culture, as the winds of culture shift, sometimes we find ourselves being marginalized, and even at times, we have, uh, Christianity has been vilified. You know, it's your guys' fault, the way things are. And what you see is this, there are people who seek to destroy Christianity, and they really, the tactics are always the same. They exploit and embellish the flaws of the Christian community. God's word is perfect. Unfortunately, we as followers are still being perfected. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that we're all perfect and we do everything right. And so the Christian community does have flaws. That's why we come to church. That's why we serve God, because if I was perfect, I wouldn't need to be here. Right? So people take that and they want to embellish it or exploit that. They will also distort the teachings of the gospel without regard to the context of what uh, the scriptures were given and just distort it. And then others will just blame the Christian beliefs for political and societal problems. You know, it's those people out there, you know, these, these conservative Christians. You hear this from not just in our society. It's, those are words that have been said in other communities uh, or other nations at other, other times in other, in other centuries. You know, it's those followers of Christ that are the bottleneck in all this stuff. It's their fault. If they would just get on board and stop being so resistant, we would, we'd be able to move on and devote our resources to other things. It's their fault. It's them. It's them. And you just got to know, we're hearing a repeat of history. Now, the problem is most of us weren't alive when those things happen, right? But the Bible is not silent about these cultural shifts and morals and values that are really uh, uh, contrary to the biblical belief. And so the Gospel of Mark is actually written uh, to that particular context because the Christians found themselves on the wrong side of Roman culture. There's a lot of things that Roman culture had normalized and the Christians wouldn't uh, wouldn't buy into it, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't change their belief system. And so here's a little bit of background about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written by a guy named Mark. How many know that's revolutionary right there? But who was this guy? Actually, Mark was a convert or a disciple of the Apostle Peter. 
And in history, Mark has often been referred to as Peter's secretary. He did a lot of writing because Peter was not known. He did write first and second Peter, but Peter was not known for his writing skills. And so Mark was. So many people will say Mark's account of the gospel is actually Peter's account. It's just that Mark recorded it. And Mark was not a follower of Christ. He, he, was, he was aware of who Christ was. But he wasn't the follower that he was at this particular time. And so he really relied a lot on Peter's descriptions and the teachings of Christ. So the other side of that is, who was he writing to? And the Gospel of Mark was written to the Christians in Rome. And these Christians were in the throes of a life and death situation faced with Rome. They were being executed, oftentimes for sport, due to Emperor Nero's accusation that the Christians were the cause of the fire of Rome, the great Roman fire, which occurred in July 18th through July 23, 64 AD. Many of you, if you've been in any kind of history, know that Rome burned for six days. And then people started pointing fingers at Nero that he had done this so that he could rebuild the city the way he wanted. He needed a scapegoat. The Christians were the perfect ones because they were outside the normal morals and values of, of the Roman culture. So he was able to point a finger and say they have extreme views. And besides, they, they even have things that will say that, you know, in the end, their God is going to burn up the heavens, you know, burn up the earth. And they're talking about fire and judgment. So these Christians were out there on the street trying to help God out. They were, the, let me tell you, they were the perfect escape. They were the perfect cover for what Nero had done. And it was actually during this persecution that followed for the next few years that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul both were executed. Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. The Apostle Paul was beheaded. Some in history say they actually occurred on the same day while they were in different venues, but they say they believe that it was actually on the same day. So literally in this persecution, the Christians lost two iconic, influential voices and writers and, and propagators of the faith. It would be hard to, it, you could see why there was a lot of discouragement in the community. Like, what are we going through? What are we doing? Are these, va are these values that we're standing for worth dying for? I mean, because that's what's happening. Me and my family are incarcerated, and if we, don't, if we don't change our belief system, we die tomorrow. So that's why when you go to the Gospel of Mark, he's not worried about starting off with the birth of Jesus. Because when you're about to die, you don't ask questions about his birth. You have, how many of you know you got a whole other set of questions? You're like, skip the birth. Let's get to what he has to say. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to what's being done? And this guy, Nero, he is evil to the core. Let me just tell you a couple things about Nero. Nero uh, killed his own mother. He uh, also made the declaration that he, to the Christians that he was greater than God. How many know that's a challenge you shouldn't issue? Another thing that he did was this. He was an openly uh, perverted man in his sexuality. History records that he had a, a male lover who had undergone surgery to the degree that they could do surgery in those days and had him changed over for his live-in lover. And this is now the world leader. This is the world leader of the Roman Empire. And here are the Christians trying to eke out an existence, a life, and this is the guy who is determining whether they live or die. 
And, and basically, Nero had a very simple process. He just said, deny your, deny your God, acknowledge I'm God, and you can go free. Well, you can see what the temptation would be. Well, I'll just acknowledge that, and then when I get out of jail, I'll walk around the corner and I'll repent. And it's amazing some of the teachings that come through the Gospel of Mark that are, when you're sitting in that context, a lot of these scriptures start to jump off the page at you like, wow, this is what's expected of me. These are the values that I'm supposed to hold. And so let me, I'm going to say this now, and I'll say this later in the message. The early Christians were faced with this. Is my faith, am I more biblical or am I more Roman in my beliefs? I'm going to bring that up again in a, in a little bit. Am I biblical in my beliefs or am I Roman in my beliefs? And what we see today, I'm just going to tell you, is this. A lot of well-meaning Christians are more Roman than they are biblical. They're flipping the belief systems on its head. And when you look at the scripture, you go, you're not biblical. You're Roman. You need to know that. Be careful. So what is our response supposed to be? So number one, everybody read number one with me out loud. Jesus taught on the reality of spiritual warfare. Did you know you can read the whole entire book of Mark and you never get Nero's name? He never mentions it. It's not because he wasn't willing to acknowledge that he was a real person. It's not that he wasn't denying that he had authority. It's the fact that Mark, through P and through the influence of Peter, wanted to demonstrate Nero is not the problem. The problem is the evil spirits and forces that control him. You don't fight Nero, you fight the evil that controls him. And so you come to Mark chapter 1. We didn't read this earlier. I'll get to the other passage later. But he starts off early in Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 27. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. Do you see the word possessed? Okay, let's try that again. Do you see the word possessed? I know that makes people uncomfortable. Well, then take it up with Jesus. I'm just reading. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this is the demonic spirit, the impure spirit that controls this guy is crying out. And it's acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Even the dark forces of evil knew who Jesus was and humans were still scratching their head trying to figure this out. But notice what Jesus said. Be quiet. Said Jesus sternly, come out of him. Why is that? Why did Jesus tell it to be quiet? Because even when evil speaks truth, it has a hidden agenda. Jesus came to serve. The demonic spirits wanted to make Jesus get off track and chase fame. And he's like, no. Son of man came to die for the sins of the world and in three days be raised again. And so the demonic forces were trying to prematurely get Jesus out there so that he would chase fame. The image, or the impure spirit, shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. How many know that'll mess up your Sunday morning service? <laughs> yeah. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, now this is important, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This is crucial. 
Jesus never went after the man. He went after the evil spirit. Do you see that? Christians, listen to me, followers of Christ, we've got to get our head above the cultural war and realize where the battle's really being fought. We don't fight people. We fight evil spirits that manipulate people. That's why the Bible says, love your enemies. I can love the person and fight spiritually the evil spirit that is trying to influence the person. Okay, everybody got that? But see, we get so caught up in personalities and we get so caught up in demonizing political figures and political positions. And we, as followers of Christ, we have to understand we are, those are only manifestations of a battle that is happening in the spirit world. If you want to change somebody, you've got to go into the spirit world and address it. All right. Number two, read it out loud. There is a real spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. So now we're going to jump to Ephesians where the Apostle Paul is talking. Now, Peter and Paul were actually very close friends. Very close friends. And there's some texts that I could bring up that demonstrate this but because of the time. But I don't have time to go there. But So Paul is in prison at this moment. We believe these are some of the epistles, Ephesians being one of them, that he wrote before he was executed. And so he's in prison because of Nero. Nero has falsely accused him and is going to make sure the kangaroo court condemns him to death. Protocols will be violated all over the place to make sure that Paul does not walk. He's going to die. Well, if you're writing letters in prison and you're about to be executed by this type of leader, how many know you're just sending out, you know, we need to get a petition. You're, you're after the person. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not saying the person's not responsible, but you know there's an evil spirit that's playing them. And what does Paul say? You read the whole book of Ephesians, he never mentions Nero. He refuses to say that this power is coming from Nero. Instead, he says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers. Or you say, oh, he's going political. Uh-uh. Of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, you see what's happening to me? This is not flesh and blood, man. It's being played out in the flesh and blood, but flesh and blood is not causing this. There is evil spirits that are controlling people that are making this happen. And right after this verse, he starts a very popular passage that most people are familiar where he goes into the spiritual armor of God. And he's demonstrating this. The problem we have is not that Nero is killing us. The problem we have is there is an evil spirit that is controlling him, that is causing him to do it. Nero's still responsible, but as followers of Christ, we know that the only way to change his mind is to address the evil spirits that are manipulating this leader. That's hard for us because American culture, and my goodness, just watch the news for five minutes. Every newscast is designed to make you angry. Okay? Okay? They're not just filling in the stories, man. They're telling it to make sure that in about five minutes you're so mad so that you'll keep listening. So, number three, read this out loud. There is a real spiritual battle. So it's not only in the heavenlies, it's inside of me. We all know what what an evil impulse is. 
I'm not asking you to confess all that right now. But we've all had those impulses that come into our life, and you go, eh, I'm not going to do that. Hopefully, that's what you're saying. No, no, I'm not going to go there, okay? But notice, now, this is the text we read. This is a section of it. And I want you to see, now, you, again, get, let's get into the mindset. The people that this was written to are sitting in cells. Some of them will be put on crosses and burned alive. Some of them will be put into the arena for sport to be executed by, by some drama for the, for the purposes of entertainment. And everybody knows who's responsible for this. This, this guy's name is Nero. And what I want you to see is there was no question when they read this teaching by Christ that they were learning to keep the, to keep the dialogue elevated where it needed to be as followers of Christ. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Well, everybody knows that's Nero we're talking about here, because he's the guy that put him there. Sexual immorality, well, that, that's Nero. Theft, well, that was Nero. He was taking people's property. Murder, killed his own mother. Adultery, definitely need, uh, uh, Nero. Greed, do I have to keep saying Nero in every one of these? Can you just assume this, okay? Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander arrogance, I'm greater than God, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He is not saying that Nero's not responsible. He is saying, let me tell you where Nero's getting this. It's an evil force that's taken control of him. And what you see coming out of him are these things. And so he's using the teachings of Christ to demonstrate it's not necessarily go after the flesh and blood. You need to go after the spirit that's controlling the flesh and the blood. And it's hard for us as well because we're just naturally taught. I mean, we just naturally work in the flesh and blood realm. And listen, you and I have a privilege today that these followers of Christ didn't have back then. It's a thing. We get to vote. What an awesome privilege that is. Okay, But we, we don't want to say because I vote, I don't need to worry about the spiritual warfare. Actually, you probably need to be more worried about spiritual warfare because of the forces of evil that play on people's emotions. And people can be tricked and deceived on information so easily today because of the mass media and all these social media platforms. You know, people, people, everybody will say, um, well, just because, it's, you know, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. And it's amazing how many people then turn around and say, well, according to the internet, <laughs> just because it's on the internet, I'm quoting you, just because it's on the internet, doesn't make it true. Number four, read this out loud. The mind is a spiritual battlefield. So not only is a battlefield in the heavenlies, we also read that in me, my mind is a battlefield. So here's the thing, you can't, you can't change somebody unless they change their mind. You can contain them. That's what law enforcement does. People who won't take control of themselves and make responsible decisions, law enforcement steps in. But there's a thing called, if they don't change their mind, they're going to stay incarcerated. Or they're going to become a repeat offender. Why? Because the key here is this. you got to change your thinking and your mind that got you in the jam before. But if you don't change your thinking, you're going to end up there again. you got to change. 
So the Bible tells us, that, now again, this is uh, 2 Corinthians, this is by Paul. And again, this is before the, the great persecution. This is in the, in the 50s, okay? And the persecution happened in the 60s. He says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. Can everybody say amen? amen? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So this is not a bunch of lackadaisical, laid-back, easy-going, passive Christians. We fight different. Well, how do we do that? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's when Christians start getting excited and go, amen, demolish. Christianity, do you know even what that means? Do you know what, 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 hey, how about we know what a stronghold is so you know what you're talking about? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's a stronghold? Something that I believe that God's word says, no, it's this way. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I, you are now. You now have a stronghold. A stronghold is something that you truly believe, but God's word says it's the opposite. Or it's the, and you go, well, I don't care what the Bible. Well, it's just, it's just an archaic book. Oh, it's just, you know, it's got, oh, so you're more Roman than you are biblical. Well, I didn't say I was Roman. Oh, yes, you did. You're taking your cues from Rome. It, it might be 2,000 years ago, but I know the spirit of Rome when I see it. You're more Roman in your thinking than you are biblical. Be careful. Because then you come down to, so why are you just dismissing that part of Scripture? Why not go to the rest and start dismissing whatever upsets you or whatever you disagree with or whatever you find uncomfortable? Why, I guess, I guess God, you feel like you have the ability to edit God. See, the battle is up here. And, in, and that's why we come to other scriptures in just a second. But there's also another passage that Paul wrote about five or six years prior to this great fire of Rome that led to this massive persecution. Nero wasn't in power, but every emperor was, well, let's just say this. None of them ever retired because every, every Caesar got assassinated. How many know, boy, there's a job to shoot for. They all died. And so the, the emperor before Nero, Paul is writing, and he's already seeing some shifts in the culture. And in some ways, he, I mean, he definitely is writing reality about what he's dealing with, but in many ways it becomes prophetic. And it's a passage of Scripture that comes out of Romans chapter 1, and I don't mind telling you I'm going to read this. And today, this is one of those passages of Scriptures that is causing severe backlash on spiritual leaders. Read this in churches, and there are a number of pastors who have been asked to leave because they read it. Forget that they even expounded on it. They just read it. There are people who said, I will never set foot in the church again. Why? You read that one passage. Uh, so I'm supposed to tell God that part's... I'm, I'm supposed to edit God. Yeah, I, I don't do that. Because it's like I said last week. All scripture is God-breathed. And I'll give you this a quiz. The Greek word for all means what? 
Yeah, there you go. All. All. Even the ones I go, oh, I don't agree with that whatsoever. So what I want you to see is this is what Paul was handling, but it also becomes very prophetic because of the next leader who came into power who was Nero. And the one who was prior to Nero was, was definitely ungodly. But look at this passage from Roman, or Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God, and notice what it says about the mind. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Hmm. Do we see that today? I'll prove you wrong. I'll just get more wicked. Okay. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Notice the Apostle Paul is making it very clear here. You have no excuses. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking, everybody say thinking, became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says there there's an element that if we're not careful, we can take our minds into arenas where our minds and our thinking become futile. You see that? It says that the fallout associated with what, what's being written here is it begins to affect the mind. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like the mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So basically it's this. They said, you did not come from the image of your God. Rome was saying, you come from the creatures. You need to identify the creature from which you come from. And so people would say, I'm a, I'm a descendant of a particular animal. And he was saying, you are exchanging the image of God for an animal. There's a fallout that goes with that. That kind of teaching will have moral effects upon your life. Because there's a moral center when you say that you come from God and you're created in his image. But when you trade that for the fact that you say you evolved from an animal, you are aware that animals have no moral center. Unintended consequences of changing God's word. Well, I didn't say, but that's where you go. See, because I'm made in the image of God, I know that there is a moral center, a moral compass that comes with being made in the image of God because I get his character. Notice earlier it says they are without excuse because God says, I wrote it on your heart because I created you. But if I come from a descendant, if I'm a descendant from an animal, what morals? Hmm. Okay. Um, oh, I got to finish reading that. Therefore, God gave them over. Notice this. God says, I protect you from impulses and things out there when you keep me as the moral center of your life. But when you remove me as the moral center of your life, you have to realize my protection is gone and you are exposed. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Let me just say this. Did you know that American culture literally has no more definitions of sexual immorality? We have, we have, everybody, everybody's good and whatever the preferences are. We literally no longer have a definition of sexual immorality. It doesn't exist. I'm saying that's not good. 
Okay? I'm just telling you, because of where we've gone, you can't even describe what it is anymore. It, in American culture, well, that's, that's their preference, and who am I to judge? That's, that's where we're at now. Okay. You've got to stop interrupting me with all these, all these questions. And uh, sinful does it heart. Okay, here we go. For since the... Uh, I've already done that. Stop, stop confusing me. Here we go. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. A lot of people stop there, but notice what he keeps writing because Paul says, I see things coming down the pike of Roman culture that is not good. And by the way, he was spot on because five to ten years later, it all broke loose. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. God says, when I take away my protection, you might be unaware of what hell is going to be bringing at you. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. Do you see that? God gave them over to a depraved mind. God says, I have been protecting your mind, but if you cast me aside, you might want to be aware of what's coming down the pike. So that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. He could have wrote that today. You say, well, what's your comment? Do you notice he never mentioned the leader of Rome? Never named him. Why? Because his battle is not against the leader of Rome. His battle is against the spiritual forces that manipulate people and try to convince people. That wrong, it's not wrong, it's right. That forbidden fruit over here, that, you know why? This, it's okay. If, if you just know how to handle it moderately, it, it's okay. You know, it, don't, don't, evil has a way of manipulating people in their minds. They really do believe that they're right. And here's the thing, we're not going to win them by getting mad and shouting and protesting and petitioning. We need to learn how to take the, the conversation and the spiritual warfare to another level. And it's called addressing those spirits that manipulate people. And so here, let me just succinctly say it this way. I don't pray against people. I pray against the spirits that play them. Everybody get that? Because the Bible even says to love my enemies. I don't roll people under the bus just because I disagree with them or they disagree with me. Actually, I try to love them, but once they find out where my positions are, a lot of times they roll me under the bus. They're like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I love you. Do I? Yeah, if you ask me, I'll tell you I disagree. I think, you have, I think there's a better life. I, I think you're on a path that could lead to some consequences. I'm not going to tell you my life is perfect, but I feel, I feel like my life is centered. In Christ and I have a basis and I, I think you're gonna hit some storms and you're gonna be looking for that and you're not gonna have it 
I don't want to cut them off as a friend. I don't want to cut them off as a relative. I'm not attacking them. I'm not putting them down. I want to love them. But, I, but I, I've, if they ask me, I'm going to say, I think there's a better way. I think, especially if you tell me you're a follower of Christ. No, what I'm not hearing, you're not a follower of Christ. You're a Roman. And I want to help you to move from being Roman to becoming a follower of Christ. Like I said, Paul wrote this, and by the way, the Christians found themselves on the margins because they just would not teach their children the morality of Rome. Rome said this, you can have anyone, marriage is nice, but you're not restricted to your, your sexual expressions inside the marriage. It's good. It's just basically Rome said open marriages is just normal, and it can really be with anything or anyone. And the, 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 the leaders of their nation were practicing that. And the Christians said, we don't do that. I won't even teach my children that. And that not, 10 years later after this was written, it brought the wrath of Rome. Rome says, we're tired of you not accepting our morality. Now there will be a price to pay. We love people, and we pray for people, but we pray against those evil spirits that are playing them and manipulating them. And everybody said, amen. Oh yeah, just making sure y'all are here and listening this morning. Here's the last point, maybe. Depends on all what comes to my mind. I'll just read it to you. God's word reveals to us how we can win the spiritual battle of the mind on a daily basis. See, what we have to recognize is this. Today's victory does not carry into tomorrow. Tomorrow's victory must be won tomorrow. But it's, it, you can take the momentum of the day into tomorrow. But it's never, um, hey, I'm over that. If you haven't realized by now, evil impulses are waiting around the corner on you every day. So the question is, is how do I win this mental battle? How do I not get deceived? How do I not make sure that I'm not the guy who gets the stronghold? I believe something and it's really not true, but I really believe it is. And then I'm the guy that nobody can budge. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. Well, we all know that that was Rome. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? So it tells me. I can change. I can change. Let me tell everybody in this room, you might be stuck, but you are not hopeless. You can change. And you know what? You might have more of a struggle changing than other people. But just because your struggle is greater than other people doesn't mean you get a pass. It says then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then, and again, this is while he's in prison, Paul, which is going to probably turn into his death sentence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Listen, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
He's saying, would you get your eye off the flesh and blood problem and realize there's another dimension that you can influence that will change the outcome of what you see in the flesh and blood? In Mark, now we're back to what's being written. He's showing them the various battlefronts that they have as followers of Christ in that context. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and mind and strength. Sometimes our struggle is this. We got four battles going on at once. A battle in our heart, a battle in our soul, a battle in our mind, and a battle in our strength. But just because it's hard doesn't, get a, doesn't mean you get a pass. Okay. But notice it says there is a battle that happens in our mind. How do I win that? Psalm 119, verse 11. With his word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Everybody read Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not I learn his word so that when an evil impulse comes, it's more easily recognized and identified. That I can say, oh, no, 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 no. That might be what I'm thinking. But I just read the other day in the Bible, or I just read this morning, or I just read last week. Or I remember, notice, have you noticed how often I have you read the scriptures in here? You know there's a reason I do that. Okay? Because people will sometimes say to me, I didn't appreciate you saying that. I go, I didn't say it. I read it. And I, I, know, you, I know you think I'm really powerful, but God has not given me the power to edit his word. We read it. Be careful in telling God that you don't like what his word says. God, that's wrong. God, you had no right to write that. You had no right to say that. God, that was so insensitive. Oh, really? So now you're God. Careful. You're sounding more and more like Nero. I am more powerful than God. Oh. I will not tell you that there aren't things that I read that I don't struggle with from time to time. Well, you're the pastor. I'm still human. Ooh, that's hard. Hard reading. But I always tell myself this. It's not how I feel and it's not how I think. It's what he says. And I have enough history in following Christ to go, no matter how I feel, I think I trust him more than I trust my feelings. Because his word has played out pretty good in my life. And it's provided me a strong sense of stability. I, I, I can tell you, I trust God's word more than I trust my feelings. And I want to say something here that might offend some of you. I also trust God more than I trust my education. I'm not anti-education. My gosh, I got a doctorate, so I understand. But you know what? I will never let my education override 
what he says. My education must be subservient to what he says. I trust him. Know the word, and then you'll know the battlefield, but you'll also know the victory. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service this morning. Would you do that? Can you lift your hands? And I want you to praise him that he's a God who's won the victory. If we'll, if we'll, <laughs> if we'll do the work, we can share in the victory. Come on, praise him for this. Praise him that he's a God who has answers. He has, he has ways that we've never dreamed of. Come on, church, thank him for that. Listen, in just a second, I'm going to give people a chance to receive Christ, and then we're going to have the opportunity to pray for people who have needs today. But I want us to take a window here and do exactly what I was just speaking about. I want us to pray passionately. I want us to pray, first of all, that He is a God who already has answers for the challenges of our culture today. This is, not, this is nothing new. It's new to you and me. But Jesus has already navigated previous followers through these crises. So come on, let's praise him for the fact that he's still the answer for what we have today or we face. Come on, praise him right now. Now I want you to pray for people. Listen, pray against the evil that's controlling your son, your daughter, your spouse, your friend, your employer that controls leaders in this name. Pray against the spiritual forces of darkness. Ask God to release them from the influence of that evil and bring them back into the right mind. Come on, ask God to set them free. Pray for people. Pray against the evil that's manipulating them.